Hello and welcome again to the Mike Thrays podcast. You're listening to your host, Mike Thrays. And today I want to talk about something I find really inspiring and, and I'm passionate about this in terms of transformation and manifestation. If you've been listening to a number of my episodes, for me, this is almost like a culmination of many of the techniques you can apply for effective transformative change in your life. And this is in addition to, yeah, coming back in the heart space, honouring and listening to the intuitive power of the body, kind of taking a risk, looking with fear in the face and developing this awareness of, of the power of the law of attraction, something that, yeah, really awoke within me when I walked the Camino de Santiago and when I moved to Portugal and then Ireland for nine months in 2016 connected with all this and in some ways it's an extension of the law of attraction but it can be kind of extrapolated in a different perspective there's been renowned philosophers such as um yeah Carl Jung have talked about this and that's the nature of archetypes or even what I've heard in a recent book I've been listening to parts of it transcribed on an audiobook reality trans transurfing and he talks about the ideas of pendulums and even from a societal perspective and even you know we, we can divide ourselves into suburbs nations cultures uh, languages it's very kind of liberating to come into this awareness that we can decide we can intend to not be attached to certain pendulums or archetypes that don't align with our heart space anymore, that they they are really just a construct within the society, the society that we've perhaps grown to really take on board to survive, but perhaps going beyond a pure survival us versus them mentality from a spiritual awakening perspective and coming to the law of attraction, it's a willingness to completely dissolve attachment to pendulums and archetypes. That's not to say that you won't be aligned with certain archetypes. I feel it's almost like... (laughs) Yeah, when you walk outside, you are still in a suburb. You are still in a location, a locality. There are people around you that speak a certain language. There might be certain types of trees. There might be a beach nearby with a certain colour of water. But you have a more empowered space to decide if that location, archetype story, is really supporting you on your journey, on your heartfelt journey. I feel I could talk about this for some time. This is probably going to be a long episode today because I really want to delve deep. Because more than just talking about archetypes and even the idea of talking about spiritual awakening, talking about sorcery, teaching sorcery through story, you cannot teach or talk about the idea of awakening, spirituality, the Tao, consciousness, even the law of attraction, energy, Every one of those ideas are intangible. They can't be held unless laid with story, with the idea of the practical kind of coming to life situation. That even the idea of understanding spiritual awakening, I, I can share my experience of what I found really valuable, but unless it's something within you that 
it, it connects with you, it, it's probably not going to really resonate with you. It won't be of value to you. And so when we're talking about all these ideas, even the idea of an archetype, the archetype, it doesn't actually, <laughs> it can't exist without the value that we attach to it. And the value we attach to it is simultaneously aligned with the culture that we're a part of, that it's a living, breathing organism, but it's an intangible one that takes its form through form, through our ideas that are kind of built from energy and then they become into a certain archetype. They're a, a, a certainly aligned culture or identity aspect. And the reason why I, I feel the kind to talk about today is that my third book, Falling and Diving, A Play on Awakening, The Fool's Journey of Awakening is ultimately a play on archetypes, a play on the shift in, of identity. And they're focused on the 22 major arcana archetypes of the tarot deck. So I'm not sure how familiar you are with the tarot, even for me, I wasn't overly familiar till about five years ago, perhaps, maybe six years ago, where I had my first tarot reading. And some people have experimented with tarot cards, and you may have had a background, and you may have had some type of, even the idea of card playing, the, the aces, the, the queens, uh, the spades, the clubs, also come, the idea is that they actually emerge from the tarot, that you can actually use those, uh, the, the classic card deck to extrapolate into, yeah, a major, uh, at least an arcana uh, reading because it's still using the law of attraction, intention, energy, and you can draw certain cards based on those frequencies, whatever intention you're wanting to have an answer for. But beyond that, and what I've, I learned particularly when I began to understand the law of attraction a bit more and at least in the healing space, wanting to manifest, there was this desire within me that in order to become, to manifest my intended desires to life, really the works that align with my heart, the, the best way that was going to get that done was to embody the magician archetype. And maybe more than a magician, to also be a king because I align myself with the masculine king aspect. But the king is also, even from the, the idea of chess, and I'm not a big chess player, but from what I understand, and even going back to the Druidic cultures, the king is ultimately the servant of the queen. The, the king can't really do anything on the chessboard. It's the queen that is the true power broker. The high priestess is the power broker of the game, and so she is in falling and dying, a play of awakening. That the idea of Lucy, who embodies the, the, the dual archetypes of the High Priestess and the Death card, she is the ultimate feminine guide. She's the incarnated uh, archetype. But she's ultimately, she takes on those characteristics and form because of an identity. It's an identity that it's actually molded to her. That, the way I've created this book, there's 11 characters, there's 11, they're basically mold. They're, they're kind of, of all different ages, and they're, they're basically just, they have a name, but they're all started out as 11 basic figures. Yes, I ascribed a sex, but the sex wasn't all that more so important as the archetype, as the arcana card that I described or ascribed it to. So in the lead up, 
to falling and dying a plane awakening and the book that I really began the end of 2018 and started the 2019 it really was a book that I lived through a year and I was only recently kind of after launching it earlier this year January 2020 I went back to it again and gave it a little bit more refinement because it had been six months since I'd really looked at it the characters that kind of emerged into it predominantly Simon, Lucy, even Matt, Matt and even perhaps Liz were four characters that kind of were emerging in, in short stories that I'd been writing for maybe one to two years beforehand where without thinking they were kind of just characters that emerged onto a page but they didn't really have an archetype they were just a, a person perhaps in their bit all of them roughly in their 20s to 30s that kind of really began to develop a voice it kind of came from somewhere this idea that that when you create something, you kind of, it's not so much you need to think your way through every step of the process, it's kind of more about getting out of the way and allowing those characters to emerge. And if you had that intention, that alchemist, Paolo Coelho intention, that you had this dream to create something of value or of healing, and that was also connected with, with this idea, I'll, I'll build on that shortly, that falling and diving wasn't only just a, a book about exploring archetypes it was yeah it was connected to the idea of becoming the magician i knew that in order to become and come into my own power to manifest from the from the place of lack that i was in at that moment because i'd i'd experienced all the different archetypes and come into a bit of a, a, a poor man pilgrim full spiritual full archetype that to get into the magician, the business owner, the entrepreneur, it was about creating my own reality, scripting my own reality to being. And there's many ways to do this or be this, I should say, embody this. So many different teachings around the law of attraction is secret. But what ultimately was an impulse, a desire, and a powerful desire with me was to script my reality into being through exploring the nature of the fool's journey of awakening, moving from the fool to the magician, that we all start out as fools. And to get to the magician is to do the hero's or the healing journey, to move through the major arcana archetypes of our lives to get to that magician space. So I had an intention, and part of that intention was aligned with my previous books, I Am Michael, A Journey of the Heart, Awakening Consciousness on the Way of Owls, and The Ascension Code, Consciously Changed Life, where I felt there was something that was a significant value, but in order to bring them into reality, rather than simply being books, I had to become the archetype. I had to actually choose to move beyond an, an archetype of lack, fear, shame, fear of judgment, rejection, into empowerment. And the best way for me to do that was actually to write down a script and it's being. So in having gone, been on this journey for four or five years, these impulses to start creating short stories, which I was experimenting in my writers groups, is a couple of characters, Simon, Lucy, Liz, and even Matt would occasionally emerge and they embody different ideas. Yeah, I'd say archetypes, but it wasn't really, a, it wasn't an understanding of an archetype. They had certain, they were more like scene situations. But this is the idea that I got to this point at the end of 2018, mm -hmm. where I've completed two these two books, which was still sitting in his book. I'd shot them around to publishers and I just still had this, 
yeah, there was still this awareness that I had to go deeper. And in order to bring these books to fruition, I had to kind of be willing to experiment, explore, and really develop this this idea of how to become a conscious magician. And this having this intended desire and feeling like I had nothing left to lose, this is what kind of got that ball rolling. And this idea of the falling and diving be, be, started become a reality. So what I'm leading at with all this is a either the idea of major arcanas and archetypes and either within our culture you can there's some obvious obvious archetypes there is there's the, the the poor person the one who lives in lack and they can't seem to move beyond their belief systems and at one extreme they might be homeless and their beliefs become their reality they can't they don't believe that they can actually receive abundance of food they're in a lack mindset so they can't get beyond that at another level maybe there's a, an aware uh, there's an actual particularly people a lot of people and you may be affected by this people have gone through some form of spiritual awakening is that when they move away from materiality there can be this temptation to reject all of materiality to embody like a yogi uh pilgrim hermit type archetype and the hermit is one of the archetypes around the halfway part of of the book falling down with two of the, the main characters actually embody this this archetype but so there's obvious archetypes like the poor there's also the rich person and there's certain attributes there might be the elderly rich person who has certain ideas and belief systems and the idea that our reality is a is a microcosm of our inner reality of all the different belief systems but just because we have some idea about a person out there there might be someone else who has a different idea about that same person and so from two different perspectives that person who might be a rich person and also they're a benevolent from another perspective someone who has a typically towards money that that rich person might also be a negative archetype for someone. So it's the idea that we all ascribe beliefs to our own system of reality, but ultimately to come out the other side is to see that we are all the archetypes, that quite likely we have experienced all 22 of the major Akara archetypes in our reality at some point. On some days you may have experienced up to half of them because they are their energy kind of, I'm reluctant to say thought films, but they really are developing thoughts, really from concepts, from ideas. And it's the only the belief in the ideas that gives them power. It was only the belief that I needed to be a magician in order that I embodied and became the magician. And it's the same belief around the emperor, the empress, ideas around the tower, the moon cart. But it's not just your own individual ideas because they've existed within the collective consciousness for although the arcana at least of historical purposes has only been in printed form for what four to five hundred years these are these are cultural archetypes like the sun and the moon and even the idea of temperance uh, connected with fire and water and the imagery ascribed to each archetype is ultimately you know, embedded in our DNA it's it's who we are and so it's not about running away from them. Like I, I gave the example earlier about when you walk outside and you're in the suburb and you're aware that there's certain beliefs around that. You may be living in, it's not so much a case anymore, but 
My father, for example, is a Richmond football club supporter, yet he grew up opposite, living opposite the Victoria Park, the, 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 the football ground of Collingwood Football Club. He lived in the heart of Collingwood. He was surrounded by the energy of Collingwood. And it's probably no coincidence that he ended up marrying a Collingwood supporter later in life. His mother was, in fact, a, a Collingwood supporter. And it's the energy that we're kind of connected to. He's very familiar with, with Collingwood. He's very familiar with that energy. And that, and that kind of becomes our fit. But if he didn't want to maybe be aligned with Collingwood, he, he perhaps he would have moved a lot further away. That might have been a belief system. And, and that's a similar thing with travel where... Sometimes travel gives us this experience and travel again is kind of embodied in a couple of the archetypes in Forming and Diving. The Hermit is one of those chapters that really covers it. There's, I guess but travel is a, is a theme throughout the whole whole book of Forming and Diving because it's not just about 22 major arcana archetypes and the 11 characters which are kind of, they start out as molds really kind of character-less forms and then be, become characters through the, the archetype they're ascribed to. There's also, the because it's a book about the, the, the process of spiritual awakening, it's the, the archetypes also align in roughly three to four archetypes, or I should say, yeah, arcana archetypes per stage of awakening. So there's actually eight stages within the book. So what is that? Six, six stages of three chapters each, which is three archetypes, 18 chapters. And the final two stages, um, yes, spoiler alert, forgiveness and joy have two each, two, two chapters each. And that gets to the 22 major arcana archetypes culminating with the magician. And travel is one of the stages of, uh, one of the eight stages of spiritual awakening. But, Although it's kind of focused on as an outer travel journey in that part of the book, travel is really a connected theme to the whole play because travel is in a sense transformation. It's not just an external thing, it's an internal thing. The, the out there travel manifestation is a manifestation in the inward feeling, the inward archetype that you don't necessarily buy your plane ticket um, and they're going to become a different person. It's because you've already become a different person. And you've begun to adopt different beliefs. Perhaps you've attracted some more exciting people in your life that have helped you open up to the idea of these experiences of travel to, to somewhere where you haven't always gone to every year for the last 10 to 15 years. That creates the travel experience. And that's simply what I'd like to say about the book around the archetypes. So I had, yes, I had roughly four characters that I knew would actually embody four out of the 11 because I had I knew roughly 11 characters that would mean they could basically be predominantly attributed to two chapters or archetypes each. That still needed seven different characters. And even then, I didn't know which chapter. I, I probably had a reasonably good awareness that Lucy was going to become the the high priestess and also the, but I wasn't so sure about the death card but I did have an idea that she would become the high priestess and I was vaguely aware that Simon would quite likely be the fool and the magician but what they would actually be writing what would they be living about 
yeah, living about, getting about, learning about, it wasn't aware, it couldn't become into awareness until I actually started writing down names and actually describing a certain character. But this is the idea that when we might read a book and we might say, okay, so Simon, what's he like? What's his character like? Well, I've, I've read the book and Simon, he's, he's, a, bit of a, he's a naive, he's an innocent, he's, he can be quite foolish at times, and he's also quite, particularly later in the book, he's, he can be maybe quite cutting, he's quite direct, uh, maybe cold, he's focused on manifestation. That the idea that what I've just described from the reading the book, that his character attributes, that doesn't come from my own perspective, and even in writing the book, I didn't actually just add, I didn't say that Simon is basically the, the fall of the magician and the magician after the fact. Because I aligned him with the archetype of the fall of the magician, that I wrote a book outline saying Simon is, these, this is who he is, he's going to become the fall of the magician. When I wrote the book and I begin the first chapter, it's the energy, the archetype of the fool starts moulding the character of the Simon into the fool. It's the same process with Matt as the hangman and the hermit. I, d- I knew Matt was going to be likely a young, young man, perhaps a connected image of Simon, who later would be some form of the mirror of Simon. But I didn't know that other than basically I've got a character, I've got a name Matt. Okay, so what will I give his surname? Grand, okay, well, he's grand, that means gifted. He's a gifted person, he's someone who's gifted, he's successful in society. Well, what type of person would be, what type of archetype would be would belong to that? Well, yeah, he, he, probably someone who's there, who's able to manipulate people very easily, but what's gonna happen on his journey of spiritual awakening? Well, he's gonna have to give up that archetype of being so suave, smooth, able to manipulate people. So ultimately, he's going to have to become a hermit because he's going to have to detach from the, the, the identity that's within him at the start of the book. So again, it's not that when you read the book and you, 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 you make an interpretation of that, that's his characters, that's who he is. I didn't, I didn't actually construct it that way. What I'm trying to say, and I'm not sure if I'm being clear on this, and I'm, I'm the intention is to really provide value with this, to kind of help explain the idea of energies and archetypes, is that I'm not kind of looking to create the character and then that it becomes an idea of, of someone to look up to, that it's, I already know what the character is. I don't know what the character is. What I'm saying, I know what the archetype is. I know what the, and that's what the major arcana card, each card has a certain archetype. The hermit reflects someone like the Buddha or Lao Tzu in the Eastern tradition, someone who's basically collapsed the self, probably coming from the space of being very successful in society, but then ultimately to experience a transformation, they have to let that go. So because I've described Matt as these two archetypes, that's when I begin writing the book that it's not that I'm thinking, how can I, what will I write about for Matt? The archetype takes care of the, en- of the energy and it writes the character. And I can extrapolate that out to each of the 11 characters. And that's what I'm trying to say and apply in a practical space here to all of you listening. Do you might not be aware of this? That 
we think we're working so hard to get out there to then be described as hardworking, a good person. But if you reverse engineer it and see as the dream, the wish, the film, the intention already done, then you rather than saying, well, how can I get over there? What do I need to, um, what type of characteristics do I need to adopt? What type of training, what am I missing? Rather than focusing on a lack, if you can actually just focus on an archetype of the life, if you want to be a wizard, if you are focused on manifestation, if you too want to be you're interested in the ideas of spirituality, it's about being aligned with that magician space, the mage, and the magician is the combination of the fool's journey of awakening. So if you see what does the magician, what, what are the ideas around the magician in the arcana? What's the magician in our culture? Well, two of the greatest magician archetypes in terms of the and as I talked about earlier with archetypes, and, and sorcery and a spiritual awakening, they don't exist without being ascribed to a practical person experience. You may have someone in your immediate surroundings and you can bang, this is what I did. Each of the, the 22 major arcana cards and, and the 11 characters of body to each, I generally, I was able to, having developed more of an understanding of the major arcana, I could basically, in my own field of awareness, I can focus on someone within at least my, within my reality, but more, more so within the, maybe a collective awakening reality, that someone like the hero thing is very much like a shaman, a kind of, someone who's very passionate and able to embody kind of spiritual teachings. I saw that as someone like Paulo Coelho. I saw that, I imagined that person as Paulo Coelho. And Paulo Coelho is the, the author of The Alchemist. So he, he's basically embodying, I'm using the energy of someone who exists within the culture to embody a, a character. And because I'm using him, he's, when I start writing the book, the, the archetype of the hero then and the idea of the, how I perceive the hero then because of, there's a certain archetype connected to that, that comes live on the page. And manifestation is the same space. If, if you want to become a king or a queen, or, or more so the way it's explored in the, the archetypes within Falling and Diving, it's the emperor and the empress. It's about embracing and adopting that archetype, embody that archetype. And this is something I've also talked about in a lot of my, my TikTok videos and all my other content, where it's even connected with the way you dress, the way you see yourself. And I feel that that last comment, the way you see yourself, is is basically the key to it all. Because whilst archetypes exist in the collective, they're embedded in it the way we see ourselves from a young age. That we might money, for example, with we depend on how we perceive money, but we, the value we have to money. You know, we we might deem to have a lot of money as as not to be successful is a bad thing. And so we embody that archetype. But if we get to a space where we're wanting to cultivate more money, where we wanted to cast off belief systems which are judgmental and greed and envy that and kind of counter intuitive to the lack and the slave type mentality of what we may be brought up in and all certain belief systems we've been around in, in schooling and the, the collective culture that we see on the news every night. If we're wanting to change that relationship to money, it, it, 
it's not going to necessarily come through being in that same that same kind of yeah experiment that same immediate surrounding it's the, the beliefs will change through joining another kind of mastermind a collective a different archetype an entrepreneurial state where people have positive attributes of money because you're not going to if you're just going to stay in the same reality that you've been living and expecting the same result it's like hitting your head hitting your head up against a wall and it's a similar thing with if you wanted to become more entrepreneurial yeah you might start reading forbes magazine you, you might start listening to more business mindset type podcasts, reading books like Think and Grow Rich, and that's happened, that has happened to me. But it's also about how do you see yourself? Well, the big part of you see yourself is not only just how you feel, but connect with how you feel, how you dress, how you present yourself, how, well, your attitudes to money. So you, you may find that you're willing to dress differently, adopt different belief systems, and because of this, you may find that your friendship connections change, your relationship ch changes. Then even the idea of what I talked about in the book, in the idea of the characters, and I didn't say Simon was going to be a fool, so he becomes a fool. No, I described Simon to the archetype of a fool. So the archetype is basically going to, be, to create the character. But because you don't have to be become an entrepreneur you see yourself already as an entrepreneur and because you see yourself as that way you dress that way the, the idea of fake it till you make it you embody the archetype and then you see that echo within your whole reality then you when you leave the house you might be dressed in a suit you might be feeling different looking different the the reality around you shifts because reality, as I've talked about in all these earlier podcasts and what I explore in this book and all the books, reality is only how you see yourself. It is a reflection of your own perception. And it's not something that's easy to hear if you've been through seriously challenging situations, perhaps heartbreak. But even within the heartbreak, you're afforded the opportunity to see from two different perspectives. The like I talked about in last week's podcast, you can always choose to be to be grateful. You can choose the high flying kite or the the low lying weed. You can you can always choose. You have a choice how you respond rather than you react in every situation. And even if you chose to do nothing, you chose not to start dressing better. You you, you didn't actually feel the need to change, move beyond your current situation, your current house. You, you, you just instead just decide to not be so negative about it. You develop this acceptance of who you are. The, the reality is that it will change. It has to change because it's law. The, the, the outer situation like your archetype, like your, yeah, the perception you see yourself, if you stop seeing yourself so negatively, and you even, even within the negative situation that you might be really struggling right now, then you've come across this the place of I'm, I'm wanting deep change, I'm really ready for change. The paradox of, of allowing the change in is actually having radical acceptance for what is. And what is, what is is who you are. Because the situation you're actually aligned with right now is 
is connected to the, the archetypes, the intention, the law of attraction frequency that you've emitted to yourself, that you've actually created your reality. But rather than seeing yourself as a victim of that space, you can see, wow, I've got myself in a bit of a bind. But if I hadn't actually twirled myself in up in all these different cords and these situations, if I hadn't put myself in such a challenging situation, perhaps I would have developed this ability to see how much I am the creator of my reality. And then I can shift, I can change my story. I can unfurl the cords. And it doesn't have to come through forcing it, listening to what everybody says about, you know, the warrior archetype. In the, in the culture, that I need to fight, I need to prove, I need to show everybody in the world how good I am and what I have, what I've achieved. That you actually come to this space where, and a lot of the characters in this, this book kind of go through this experience, particularly Matt, is you see that you don't have to fight anymore. They're like the, the warrior in the movies who just kind of keeps fighting and fighting the bad guys until there's no more bad guys to fight. They don't really know who they are unless they move on to the, the next archetype. The idea of Aragorn in Lord of the Rings, the, and I, I haven't read the books, of, I've only seen the movies, but if you're a fan of Aragorn, Aragorn is the ranger. He's born into royalty. He is a warrior. He's, the old, he's one of the... A little bit like King Arthur, he's before he's been, before he's made king. He's, he's this idea of a warrior archetype. He's protecting the land. He's protecting the earth. He's he's protecting the the idea of the holy grail or the sacred ring. But to ultimately transcend, to become everything he's meant to be, right? To give up the need to fight and prove. Ultimately, he has to become king or queen. He has to move beyond the idea of you need to fight everybody. And this is the, the dilemma that we, we kind of have this society, whether it's the, the sporting stars, whether it's yeah, any type of endeavor where we, we celebrate our action heroes, that they have to keep fighting and forcing. Because it's almost like how we, we draw that out to a collective where there's always a bank on, there's always, there's always the, the losing team, there's always the war and conflict, the Republican or the Democratic nominee is always the good guy or the bad guy because we've got to cast a villain. But if you want to move beyond the idea of the us versus them polarity, it's ultimately saying that they're all a part of you. You can be a good guy, you can be the bad guy, you can be the warrior. You put you quietly like have been the warrior, likely has been the warrior if you're on an awakening journey because you keep be wanting to prove yourself and you've come up to the space where you don't want to fight anymore and you're in this space of well how, how can I give up the need to fight? Well, it's not through fighting through you don't like when you're in a in a body of water you can't fight your way to the soul through the water. The way to actually rise to the top of the water is to release all the dead weight is to release the need to keep fighting and moving in the stream. You actually ascend to the bank through giving up resistance. And then you see that you're one with the water, you're a body of water, that you're everything you already want to be, that you can become any archetype you want. And I feel, I don't, I don't want to go on this too long, but it's really important to understand in terms of the transforming space and being aligned with your heart, that... The warrior is one of the most powerful archetypes in our culture, along with the wise man, the old wise man, who, who could be connected with the hermit. There's the child, the fool-like archetype, and there's, all, and there's also yeah, 
connected with the wise man. There's, there's of course, the, the king, the queen, and there's various other archetypes. There's a, the fool has, but all of them also have positive and negative kind of attributes. The shadow and positive light. That even in Lord of the Rings again, there's the two wizards. The Gandalf is seen as the positive wizard, and I can't. I think Saruman might be. He's seen as the negative. So there's two different combating forces. The good king and the bad king, the weak king and the, and the strong king. You know, the, the positive fall in, in Bilbo or Frodo, both of them really, as, as the fool, the kind of, the scene as the, the innocent, the hobbit. And, and then you've kind of got the negative ones kind of trying to destroy, I think, I can't think of his name, I'm sorry, Gollum. Gollum is kind of, he is the negative fool because he's the, he's the one who's gone the other way. He's been taken over from the fool-like energy. And you can take that out to the, the warrior in society, the one that, the boxer that might have won a number of fights, who, who, but just keeps wanting to punch on because he doesn't feel full in who he is. Well, not so much, he can never feel full because a warrior can never feel full. A warrior has to always fight. But what happens when there's no one left to fight? Well, ultimately the warrior is fighting himself, like a raging bull. It's got to turn on everyone in its own world. So if Aragorn hadn't become the king, ultimately he's got to lead to his own death. But he only becomes king through the willingness to see that he doesn't need to fight anymore. The last thing I'll say around and around this, and I, yeah, I, part of the, Ideally, this is really connected with you and provide a lot of value. Is people on the spiritual awakening journey? I've, I've heard Alan Watts talk about this, and Alan Watts is someone who is again a focus of falling and diving. And I, I again, I used him predominantly for the archetype of Dennis, in, but he's ultimately comes alive with Lucy and all the characters. He is a spiritual teacher who passed away some time ago. And if you're interested in spiritual awakening and the content that you listen to now with what I'm presenting, I, I can highly recommend Alan Watts. They're very entertaining. I could have also probably aligned Alan Watts with, again, Paolo Coelho and the ideas and the hero and the, and the chariot and uh, the two different kind of the very similar archetypes. I think that was probably one of the bigger challenges I had with, in terms of identifying who belonged to who. But moving beyond that is there's this saying in spiritual awakening that uh, around the idea of Zen, and I've heard Alan Watts quoted this, that when you begin to apply Zen and, and spiritual awakening, this understanding of archetypes, you, you don't need to actually read a book, focus on a book purely on spiritual awakening to understand awakening or Zen. You could apply spiritual awakening or Zen to any book. As I just talked about Lord of the Rings, I, I just focused on archetypes. And you can do it with your, your common action movie where you see them, you see the victim and the damsel, the fool, and, and they're all playing out a role, an archetype that's also utilised for marketing purposes because even from a marketing perspective and advertising, um, it's very clever marketing. They, they will target to a certain archetype based on your, your buying habits. But moving beyond that, a huge influence on falling and dying for me at the time it was the TV show Lost. And yeah, some of you guys may be aware of it, some of you may not. I've spoken to a number of you 
who kind of dropped off it after the first few series. And I feel, I could be mistaken, it's at least five or six series that ran from 2006 through to 2010, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. So roughly five series. And I know the creators were also very even within the, the, the story arcs of, of Lost. There is references to Buddhism, quite a lot of references to Buddhism, spirituality, culture, um, the Dharma Collective, and even Carlos Castaneda, that um, is actually gets a reference in a separate reality very early on in the show. But why I'm bringing this up with, with Lost, and I know that even it was very successful commercially in the first few series, and I do understand a few people concerned how it did become quite esoteric in the later series. But what I would say around Lost and how, again, you can understand archetypes and extrapolate that out to if you're interested in my book, Thawing and Diving, and you really, it's a powerful book and it will change your reality. And it will, if you just in reading it, you may experience a lot of those shifts because you will, in each chapter, you will, you are ready, you're basically, you are inviting the energy of that archetype, that kind of dimension into your life. And... The positive is that they're all major arcana. None of them are really, you can't apply a negative because even the ideas of the death card and the devil, which has a, a certain consciousness in our society, both of them are ultimately, and the tower, probably the three most, the, yeah, the tower, the death card, and the devil, and even also the moon, all four of them are, are, could be perceived on the surface as very challenging negative archetypes. But what, you know, it's like when you, when you cut down a tree or you're working in the garden, sometimes the, you, if you want a, a plan to really thrive, it's about you put extra soil. They, they have to go through an extra layer. And it's the same method. If you're wanting to transform, it's about working through the archetypes. But the deepest healing often comes in what's called the shadow space, the shadow, and even in bringing awareness to that, that can bring you to another level of reality. So connected with that, with the idea of lost, and the, that you can actually apply Zen or spiritual waking to any form of book, you can see the characters of Jack and Sawyer, Kate and Juliet as all mirrors. They basically have a similar relationship in the book or in the, in the show, and I've kind of extrapolated that out roughly in the book to some of the characters in the book. It's Simon, Liz, Matt, Lucy having to to connect to a relative connected idea of Steph, but why I'm experimenting with that is you, you can actually see with with Jack and Soy they're mirrors of each other. They're both the hero archetype. Jack's become the doctor. He's the GP. He's he's as, he's even Jack Shepherd. He's a shepherd. He's based even in the character's name that the, the creators of the tribute to him. Here is clearly Jesus Christ up front and he is to be seen for everybody. And then you've got Sawyer, who's almost the same height, very much. He's seen as an antichrist. He's seen as kind of the, what happens when the, the hero becomes aligned with the negative attributes. You've got Juliet. Either Juliet, from a romantic perspective, is aligned with Romeo and Juliet. And then you've got Kate. Well, Juliet is a doctor. And you've got Kate, who's actually, we, we find out very odd, is, has actually murdered her stepfather and has been involved in a number of robberies. 
But when they get to the island, they're all they're all provided with this opportunity to have a different archetype. The, the plane crash is their near-death experience, their kind of their Camino, their spiritual awakening, where they're now in a reality, where reality is they're malleable and it's in a different situation. So Juliet, who's the doctor, is now in some ways seen as quite vindictive. She she allies herself with a, an organization that's the predatory on, on children. Cade, who was actually somebody who was involved with, yeah, like I said, killing the stepfather, has been involved in a lot of drama and violence. She's now aligned with helping people. She's aligned with Jack. Jack, who is such a hero in, in his world, we find very early on that he's also battling his demons, his, his grief around his father. And Sawyer, who there is wanting to portray to everybody very early on again that he's a bad guy he's playing the bad guy he's the one in the in the western that you have to go okay that's who the sheriff has to top load up as he's explored through the series you can see very much how he's mirroring to jack that he's actually jack in another form that he even met jack's father when he was in sydney and it's actually Sawyer that facilitates the healing in some ways between Jack and his deceased father that Jack was incident to escort the body home. And in the Jack and the idea of John Locke, the father figure, the kind of, in some ways, the Dennis character of my book, who's the man versus science, who's the man versus faith, because Jack and John Locke are at odds and ends, it's through Jack have developing a greater understanding and respect for John, that he's actually able to put his own wounds around his father to death. And it's no coincidence, sorry, spoiler alert again, if you, but the last few series, so you might just want to cut out for a minute or two if, if this is, well, yeah. There's, John Locke basically embodies Jack's father. He takes the place of Jack's father. That all these characters, you could see them as one character as one archetype, as one being. They're just all having this experience of awakening. But what the last thing around around the idea of lost and awakening and applying Zen is there's a couple of crucial things I could talk about. Lot. I basically explore it all in my book, so if you're, you're really passionate, if you're passionate about this stuff like I am, you may be really inspired and, and really connect a lot more with it in reading for and dining is that there's a number of other archetypes too, and they shift throughout, the, but one of the, let's, let's focus on a couple, just to, to really conclude this. Hurley is the, the overweight, visibly obese, yeah, he really, he kind of, he looks like he's the least cut out for island life, and we find from his reality before leaving, that he's basically, has very low confidence in himself, and the fact that he has this lack of self-confidence, self-esteem, is why his body has actually embodied this form. He's ultimately, in some ways, he's, pardon me, he's that full archetype. He's probably most aligned with the full. Maybe Charlie, similar from the musician space, but Charlie could also be aligned with the hangman and the hermit. But Hurley is his full. But in going through this plane crash and coming to the island, and being in a new reality where he's not around people or situations who reinforce his idea of not being good enough. He's around people who have that 
significant challenges like he have. The idea of his body shape, it's not, well, Sawyer kind of pokes him and really gives it to him to begin with. He soon finds out that the body shape has nothing to do with his worth. And because he begins to see himself differently, all the characters around them also see themselves differently. And so Hurley basically becomes, he moves from the full space, and he, he, but he's also the one who's also controlling the action. In some way, he's the hero thing. He's the chariot. He is the magician, along with Jack, the kind of responsible for the island, because he's willing to be a fool and follow his heart. And finally, there's a couple of other characters that come into the, into the space later on in the show, and it's very interesting. One of them's Rose, and I can't think of the, the partner's name, but Rose is, out of anybody that was on the plane, she's perhaps, and I could be mistaken, the Lost fans here, so I, I welcome your, your criticism or feedback if you've got it. In terms of the near-death experience, Rose is the only one that really is having the near-death experience because prior to being on the plane, she's suffering cancer. She's basically prepared to die. She realizes she hasn't got much time left. And because she's actually in that space, she's in that surrendered space, she's not wanting to fight. She hasn't got an identity. She's not playing out all the roles like all the others on the island. The, the Jack's going around wanting to be that warrior rescuer. And Sawyer's kind of torn between trying to be the anti-warrior but also becoming the warrior because that's what's drawing it to him. And Kate and Joanne and all the other characters embody those archetypes. Rose in this place of surrender has already kind of been through it. She's died. She died before she got to the island, but she's been reborn on the island. And because she's been reborn, all the drama, all the conflict with the others and all the other situations and, and the thing that, that keep playing out in the reality that the characters are wanting and manifesting into their reality because they're so used to drama, so they manifest drama. And drama gets drama, conflict gets conflict. It's quite curious that the last series, or, or perhaps the sick, Rose is able to be detached from it all. Her and her husband, even though well, there's all this chaos going around them, it doesn't affect them because there's no intention to have drama. They are able to exist on this pocket of the island where they don't actually attract that anymore. And coming back to what I began this, this presentation with, in transformation and acceptance, when you move through the archetypes, we've experimented with all of them. When you've come out the other side of falling and diving, you see they're just archetypes, identities that are temporarily played out in a play, that life is some form of play or a game. But if you're willing to die to the idea of needing to play a game, needing to prove, needing to play out an archetype, and you're willing to allow that reality to shift because you don't need to play it out anymore. You can be in that peaceful space. Life doesn't have to be that hard. You can live in that pocket of the island where everything just works out for you. Thank you again for really listening to this. It's, it's something that really inspires me and I intend to find a lot of value for you. If, if falling and diving and plain awakening is something that yeah, you'd really like to, to read and learn about. You can find that through going to my webpage, mikephrase.com, and the links to Amazon, along with my other books, I Am Michael and Journey the Heart. 
and the Essentica Consciously Change Your Life. Until then, thank you again and bye for now.